hello and welcome to another episode of In Conversation with Curated by Kangaroo Minds. I'm Vedika and today we have with us Dr. Mahesh Valsekar. Dr. Valsekar is a consultant pediatrician with over three decades of experience and is associated with several leading hospitals in Mumbai. With a keen interest in social medicine, he is also the founder of a charitable trust, The Healing Touch, and is on the advisory board of St. Jude's. Having attended and presented in national conferences and international conferences, he also has several publications to his name. Our conversation today centers around child mental health. So without taking much time, let's hear from Dr. Balsekar himself. So Dr. Balsekar, in all your years of experience, uh, how have you seen the space of child mental health evolve in terms of the concerns that are coming up? And do you feel that somewhere even the conversations around it are changing? So mental health has always been a part of genetic uh, practice. And as you know, about 10% uh, of children have some mental health issue at some time or the other. What people are perhaps not aware is that almost 50% of mental illness comes within the first 14 years of life and almost 75% in the first uh, 21 years of life. So the onset of mental health problems actually is in childhood. Uh, what we are seeing, however, is that the incidence seems to be increasing. And this is a phenomenon which is seen the world over. So similarly, in my three decades of practice, I'm seeing an increasing number of patients now. And the spectrum of illnesses has also changed. So, for example, earlier we used to see a lot of behavior problems or some anxiety or some depression. But now we are seeing far larger numbers of anxiety and depression. We are seeing a lot more of eating disorders, which we used to not see much earlier. We are seeing a lot of self-harm and attempted suicide, which we used to not see in the earlier years. So, we are seeing not only an increased prevalence, but we are also seeing a much more severe variety, and this is obviously because of the changes in the environment that we have seen in the last uh, several years. I mean, you mentioned, you know, that you're having a whole range of disorders now, which are even more intense on that spectrum. Are you also seeing resistance from caregivers to talk about it or to seek help for it? Fortunately, it's the other way around. We find now that adolescents are actually approaching us for mental health issues. We are also seeing that parents are approaching us for mental health issues. It's not as much as it should be, but it's far better than uh, uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I think it's uh, very important to realize that in a developed country like UK, with a established healthcare system, only about 30% of uh, children adults who are mentally unwell actually seek help. The number here in India is going to be much, much less. So if it's 30% in UK, it's going to be much lower here. But I feel that in my practice, things are actually improving. Uh, a lot of attempts by a lot of organizations, media, celebrities, it is creating an awareness that mental health is here and that we have to identify it and we have to seek help. So I think things are improving for the better. I think, you know, in current times, we've been in the pandemic for a year and, you know, students have been like, you know, away from school, they've been away from their peers, they've been in lockdown, and some of them are not in optimum living conditions. 
you know, for those children, how do you feel that, you know, the COVID has taken an impact on their mental health and how do you think that's going to impact their long-term development? So there's a lot of literature now on the impact of COVID on the mental health of children. Now, this you can segregate in according to the age group. You find that the very young children are actually doing well. And the okay. very young children have both their parents at home and they get a lot of uh, stimulation. So it hasn't impacted the very young. So the infants are actually doing better. Okay. Uh, you find toddlers where social development is important. Uh, they are somewhat hit. So this is when speech is developing, relationships are being formed, they learn to play with others. So social development is taking place. So you find that the three, four, five-year-olds are significantly affected. And this is where parents find a lot of problems because the kids can't go out, they're restless, they need some opportunities to socialize in the world. And the older children want to go out and play and socialize and the adolescents, they in the worst hit. But one thing is clear is that this uh, effect on families is not uniform. And the upper income group with all their opportunities are doing much better. And you find the lower income are no better. You find Kids who were normal earlier are doing much better. We should not forget that children are not a uniform population. You find children with pre-existing mental problems. They've been hit hard. You find children with developmental problems. They've been hit hard. Children from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. They've been hit hard. So you find this homeschooling, for example, which everyone's talking about. But not every household has four laptops for the house, for the husband and the wife and the two kids. They don't have enough space. Exactly. So the lower income families have been really hit much worse. So there's a non-uniform effect on kids. And uh, the impact has been very tremendous. Overall, the incidence has 30%. We 30% have had severe uh, mental health issues. And minor issues are probably much, much larger. Well, I think the hidden epidemic which people talk about is actually the mental health epidemic as a consequence of the COVID. This is a reality. Right. I think, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the aspect of the digital poverty and the digital divide has definitely become far more profound today for children. And along with the mental health epidemic, I think is also the sleep epidemic which, you know, children are facing. They're not getting enough sleep because partly because they're not even burning off any energy being, you know, especially with younger children. But moving ahead, I mean, you know, as a parent, caregiver, adult who's, you know, with a child, what would be some early warning signs that you could share, you know, that they could look out for? Children uh, manifest mental disturbances in different ways. So, for example, you have a very young infant. So a young child may show developmental abnormalities. For example, the child may walk late. Child may learn to speak late. Child may not socialize properly the way parents expect. The child may not respond to parents. These are signs which you see in very young infants. Or uh, you might also find sleep disturbances. A child may not eat properly. The child may cry a lot. There may be attachment problems where the mother doesn't seem to get it right, and there's no adequate bonding because the child does seem to be quite ill. Right. So these are the various ways young infants behave. Children behave in a slightly different manner. They sometimes become aggressive. They start hitting. They also have sleep problems. They have sleep problems. And uh, that's how older children behave. Sometimes they have regressive behavior. They may start bedwetting. Or they may start thumb sucking. So these are some of the problems older children uh, manifest. 
and the older children who can communicate, they actually come forward with clear symptoms and of anxiety and depression and not feeling okay and the social problems, relationship problems. They come with substance abuse, alcohol, or these kind of problems. The older children come. With. So the spectrum is quite wide across the. Okay, so in terms of, you know, let's say an adult has noticed, you know, that the child is having certain mental health disturbances or they've noticed some of these signs. How would you recommend, you know, the first step to seeking help? Because not everybody would be very open to, you know, straight out going to a counselor or a psychologist. But how can we ease that process and how can they seek help to start with? So I think the first thing is recognition. And, you know, it's quite amazing that all of us pay so much attention to our physical health. Everybody's talking about diet and exercise, right. but not everybody talks about mental health and how we can, and how we can identify early. So this becomes a largely neglected and taboo subject. Fortunately, things are better. But I think it's very important for parents to realize that children don't come with mental illness. They come with behavior problems. They come with symptoms. For example, a child may come with recurrent abdominal pain. A child may come with severe headaches or migraines. Mm -hmm. So you have different manifestation of uh, mental illness. If things are not going quite right, then the parent should always be alert to the possibility that it may be a mental issue. Sometimes the child has problems. So parents should always think that not why the child is behaving in such a way, or rather not what the child is doing. But why is the child behaving in a particular way? So once the parents are sensitive for this, I think it's not very difficult for parents to So the most important thing is to acknowledge that mental health issues are common in children and to be aware that it exists and to realize that children manifest in different ways. Uh, it's most unfortunate that even severe cases of mental health dysfunction, when I'm talking about an extreme, you find that a teenage boy goes and attempts suicide. And when you speak to the parents, they say that everything was okay. We didn't know things were not okay. Right. I think in this far life which we are living, I think there's not enough time to actually communicate. I mean, there is family time. You're doing a lot of things together. But there is no individual time between parents and children. It's not always a group that is functioning. There has to be individual relationships between the kids and the mother, between the kids and the father, similarly between the siblings, between each other. So I think this individual communication is sometimes lacking. And it's quite unfortunate that parents are unaware that the children are so distressed even when they attempt uh, self-harm. Yeah. No, I think you made a very valid point that, you know, very often, like, you know, even it comes up in schools where, you know, the parents are not aware of what the child is going through, whether it's, you know, something as simple as like an eating disorder, you may miss those signs because especially in, you know, young boys, because over-exercising is seen as pretty normal that, you know, they are very sporty, they are very athletic. So you may miss those signs that, you know, okay, there is something wrong. But as you said, you know, first look out for behavioral patterns. Another thing is that, you know, you mentioned, like we have this whole nurture versus nature debate, which has been there in psychology for like decades. So where do you think in terms of the nurture elements that a child's environment and their early childhood experiences play a role, you know, in their mental health and their development? So when you talk about mental health, it's always seed and soil, and not all, 
but in some mental health issues, family history is important. If you have a certain genetic susceptibility, I think for a mother who's had more than one child or even twins for that matter, you realize that the temperament of each child in the initial months of life is also different. So I think we are all born with a certain temperament. Some are a little more gregarious and more cheerful and more outgoing. Some children are more quiet and maybe a little introverted. So you find different spectrum and that's what gives flavor for life. You don't have to be exactly the same. So these personality differences are seen very early in life. So there is a genetic component, but not always. But what is important to realize that even if you have a genetic susceptibility, if the environment is good, then most children do really well despite the genetic problem. So it is said that genes load the gun, but the environment pulls the trigger. I think the environment is very important. So when we talk about the child, what kind of environment are we talking about? We are talking about the family. That's the most important. And we are talking about the school. This is equally important. So I think the influence of the family and the influence of the school in a child's life are very, very important. And they play a major role. I think you mentioned two very important aspects, you know, of a child's life, which is their family and their school. And I would like to discuss both with you individually. So first, you know, in terms of the family aspect, how do you think, you know, the family can better support a child in terms of, you know, their mental health? And where do you see problems coming up in that space? So we must realize that uh, parents have the best intention and they all come out with the best foot forward. However, we must realize that parents are themselves individuals. They have their own problems. They have their own baggage. Good intention is not good enough. And despite their best attempt and best intentions, sometimes things are not quite okay. For example, you may have a marital disturbance. There may be marital disturbance. And the family structure may not be okay for children. Sometimes you may have one of the parents who is unemployed. But there may be poverty. There may be substance abuse or alcohol abuse in one family. There may be a mental health issue. There may be social problems, social isolation. The family structure is important. Now it's quite utopian to think that the family is going to be absolutely fine. But it isn't. So the family plays a major role and parents should try to have a very stable environment for the child and they do their best as far as that is concerned. So these are the different uh, family triggers. So for a child family, if there's a, a father who is uh, mentally unwell, there is child abuse, uh, you might be surprised to find that almost 60% of children have experienced some sort of stress in their life. So post-traumatic stress disorder, which we talk about, is seen in almost 60%. And some of it is unavoidable. It may be bereavement of a close family member, it may be parental discord. So if you total all these things together, almost 60% have some problem or the other. But most children are resilient and they come out of it. The family structure is strong and supportive. So the family is, I think, very important. The family is concerned. Now, all these things you can't really control. But it's called secondary uh, prevention. So when you have a child at risk, the parent should be able to identify that this child needs attention. So a child who has academic difficulties, child who has chronic physical illness. This is very important, often forgotten. Like, for example, a child may have a congenital heart disease or a very severe asthma which limits his uh, going out and playing and things like that. You may have neurological problems, you may have epilepsy, you may have a whole lot of chronic illnesses. 
which account for a large number of children. They may have developmental difficulties. So these are children who are at risk. So risk factors have to be particularly attended to by parents so that they can be referred at an early stage for mental health. And coming to the school element, how do you feel that you know schools can better promote student mental health and well-being? So I think the most important thing, and this is something which a lot of schools are doing, is they're employing school psychologists and counselors. And what they've seen is that schools which have counselors, uh, almost they have a 10 times higher incidence of children seeking help. So these uh, psychology counselors, they are able to connect between the teacher and the child, between the parents and the teachers, and between the parents. And so having a counselor is actually but not all schools have the resources to do it. The second thing is schools have to be really inclusive. Means irrespective of your gender, your academic performance, your, your uh, abilities to succeed at school, uh, all children must feel included and uh, uh, feel good about being in school. The second and very important thing is really bullying. And right. one aspect which is extremely important and has grave long-term repercussions is bullying. And schools must really have a zero tolerance for bullying. It happens in the best of schools. It is probably inevitable. But there are manuals written on how to identify and how to rectify it. This is something which is very important. Another intervention which a lot of schools do and one has seen very good results is education. When a school teaches adolescents that uh, how to manage relationship problems, about the problems of substance abuse, about the problems of self-harm, that mental health issues exist, and particularly when older children talk about it, then this goes very well with the younger children. So awareness is something which is schools create. And many are doing it now, but not adequately. Not all schools have the resources. But schools which do this, I think it makes a lot of difference. It's also important, this is prevention, but schools should identify things early. So any child with, again, academic problems, who's not doing well, seems to be a bit of a loner, doesn't have enough friends, they should be referred. So I think identifying early and sending to a counselor is also very important. And another thing, you know, which you laid a lot of emphasis on, like when we were speaking now, is that, you know, resilience in children, you know, that if there are, if children are resilient, they are going to do better and they are going to slowly, you know, move from that surviving to thriving. How do you feel we can help children become a little more emotionally resilient? So one of the counselors had talked about the goal of parenting and they said something very effectively that the main purpose of parenting is to make a child feel lovable and make a child feel capable. So if you look at lovable means self-love, capable means self-confidence. And when there is self-love and self-confidence, this gives rise to self-esteem. Two things we have to give our children. It's to make the child feel lovable and make the child feel capable. So if you have these qualities, which come from parenting influence then that goes a long way. So I think self-confidence and self-esteem is extremely important. The second much talked about uh, aspect of parenting which allows children to become resilient is allowing them to fail. 
And what this means is that there's a lot of what everybody knows now. It's yeah. called helicopter parenting. The parents right. are so protective. They are hovering around the children all the time. At the moment the child is in trouble, they swoop down and come and help and see that their delicate child is not harmed or not psychologically upset. But children need to face difficulties. They need to have failures. They need to get back on their again, and they have to succeed with their own effort. So this uh, helicopter parenting is not good and a little bit of failure they should learn to tolerate. A similarly criticism. I think for a child, if the child is criticized when there is failure for not doing well, not being smart enough, not working hard enough, this is demotivating. So people sometimes feel that praise spoils. Uh, not so. Inappropriate praise may not be okay. But praise is the best motivator. And overall, if you see the structure in parenting, probably 10 times the uh, children are criticized and 3 times. I think the ratio should be 9 to 1. Criticism should be constructive and once and praise should be 9 times. So praising gives rise to confidence. Uh, basically, resilience means uh, the ability to try, fail and try again. And this happens only with confidence and nurturing environment. It's a very, very important point. I think, you know, as you mentioned very clearly, you know, that fear of failure, which has been there through the generations, I don't think any generation so far has really managed to break that cycle. So if a parent has had grown up with the fear of failure, it has sort of, you know, they've inculcated that into the child that, you know, it's not okay to fail. So maybe, you know, as you said, once we're more accepting of children failing or just not being perfect per se, like if you're accepting that, you know, yes, you can be human. Yes, you can have a struggle. I think that will probably even ease a lot of mental health issues in children because that unnecessary pressure which they've put on themselves or the unrealistic demands, that would probably come down. I think this is a very important point you made that love for a child should be unconditional and not based on performance, not based on appearance, not based on athletic abilities. And that is where when you have a child, never say that uh, you're very clever. You have to let you work really hard and you appreciate the effort you put in. Never tell somebody that you're looking very handsome or very beautiful. Say that you're taking good care, you're very fit and you're looking uh, eating an appropriate diet. And you look well turned out. So raise the effort and not the quality. I think this is very important. I think that's something very important you highlighted. And you know, one more thing that I've seen like in experience is that, you know, when you praise a child, like typically the comments that children hear are, oh, you know what, you've lost weight or you've put on weight. And, you know, you're looking, you know, fit or healthy. And unfortunately, you don't know what that's going to do to the child. So when we're talking Two children, as you said, it's so important to go beyond like experience, like, you know, experiences, appearances and just talk to them about who they are as a person that, you know, okay, you're very creative or any of that. Like, you know, if we can focus on like non-physical appearance based things or non-academic things that would probably, you know, help children a bit more. So in terms of moving ahead, when we talk about like helping children express themselves, how can we encourage them to, you know, have that conversation and express themselves better when it comes to their mental health? Well, I think this is a very important topic now. And this is referred to as emotional awareness. Or emotional. And what is important to realize is that if you identify your emotion, particularly a negative emotion, 
Once you identify it, then you can respond to it. So, for example, if a child is upset, doesn't realize it, and then reacts, then that reaction is usually inappropriate. So, I think the difference is between reaction and responding. So, when you react without thinking, you generally lack. And then, so, once you're aware that you're upset, or you're jealous, or you're angry, or any of these emotions, then you take a step back, you identify the emotions, and then instead of reacting, you're able to respond. So, I think identifying emotions is the first step. And this is possible only if the parents role model. So if the parents role model that they have emotional upsets and express it, then the children know that it's okay to be emotionally disturbed, but that there are ways to come out of it. This emotional awareness is very important. And for this, it's important that they should be agnostic. So if you express that you're anxious, or if you express that you're angry, or if you express that you're depressed, it should not be that the parent says that what are you depressed about? You've got everything. What is there to be depressed? So it's not like that. I think the parents should realize that these are all normal emotions and the parents should nurture the child's self-awareness so that they're able to come over it uh, more easily. I think, you know, as you said that, you know, role modeling and sort of creating those safe spaces can play a very big role. But do you feel somewhere also that kind of like rec in terms of recognizing our emotions, that the language we use or, you know, the language that even teachers use in schools, that sometimes that can be very problematic. Like, you know, for instance, sad and depressed are often said to be okay. Like, you know, use a better adjective. Why don't you say depressed? You know, instead of worried, right, anxious. Instead of moody, just say bipolar. So, you know, somewhere do you think that that is also causing a problem? You know, in terms of recognizing how you're really feeling. So I think it's good that these are, this awareness has come about. In fact, I find a lot of parents with these emotion cards which children come with. So the more educated parents come with emotion cards and they label and say, I'm upset and I'm angry and I'm mm. depressed and all that. So I think this awareness is fortunately coming. And I agree in labeling emotions appropriately uh, in a natural way. helps uh, children to realize what their emotional state is. That's a good thing. No, so I think, you know, like, are there any self-care techniques that you would encourage for children? Because, like, when it comes to adult mental health, a very big piece is that, you know, adults are told that, you know what, practice some self-care. Just typically something like, you know, journaling, meditation, like, you know, exercising. So is there anything specific you would recommend for children, which, you know, they can do easily or, you know, a parent could supervise easily depending on various age groups? I think this is a very important question and a neglected topic. For example, all of us pay a lot of attention or parents pay a lot of attention to the food the child eats. Very important. The amount of exercise the child does. Very important. Because this is important for physical health. We pay a lot of attention. We earn a lot of money so that we can pay fees for the children and tuition so that they do academically well. This ultimately leads to economic prosperity. So there's a lot more spent on physical health going to a doctor and academic health which leads to uh, some economic success. But considering that 20% of the adults have some mental health issue and 10% of the children have mental health issues, are we spending enough time to make children emotionally strong? And this is where your question is important that can we do something to make them more resilient? If you look at what a child needs to do, I think the most important thing is social connection. 
and uh, for those who haven't seen the harvard study on happiness it's there on uh, youtube excellent lectures and excellent articles they tell you that the ultimate happiness is based on your social connection so beyond money and beyond physical health which are very important if you are socially connected if your social relationships are good if your family relationships are good then this is a very important aspect in reducing mental disorders is very important the second thing what they have found is that your connection with the community so communities with live on tree where there is a intermingling of the different communities this is extremely important and the third thing is that all children should have some sense of purpose in terms of social activity and what they found in this harvard study is that children and adults who are connected with the community and doing something for others the level of mental health disturbances is much lower so i think it's very important that we look after ourselves we have to be physically healthy we have to have some amount of economic prosperity but we have to have engagement with our families with our social community and some social connections so these are very very important ingredients of uh, mental satisfaction in life like now for instance let's say a child is you know an introvert they are not very high on you know let's say socializing and interacting with other people so for them would you say like you know self care activities would be like you know okay yes helping others is a very important part of it but would you also say things like you know okay do something creative or you know like i know journaling often for very small children is not possible but you know something like some creative activity or some creative therapeutic activity whether it's art dance drama like do you think those things would be recommended for children to sort of you know take care of themselves over absolutely i think social activities sports music and any activity where you are engrossed and you have a passion towards are very important to keep you mentally happy absolutely So I think signing off I'm going to ask you one last question and that's going to be that if you could give any piece of advice to someone who's watching this right now and is having a hard time with their mental health what would that be I think the first thing is to acknowledge that it exists the second is not feel bad to acknowledge it it is not as for the mental weakness or lack of strength of character it's something which is common and it's normal just like you're physically unwell you can be mentally unwell uh, remember that most people who need some mental help don't get it because they're very anxious a lot of people say things like i don't want to go down that black hole and meet a psychologist because they feel it has a very negative connotation this is totally wrong when you meet a psychologist or a mental health professional i think when you go there and you seek help most people who go to professionals land up doing extremely well but has to be very very positive and optimistic about mental health issues that it's common it's normal and you should seek and the outcome for treatment is extremely good and it doesn't mean that you have to live with it for the rest of your life it doesn't mean that this is how i am by nature and this is how my life is going to be i think seeking help and taking help is extremely No, I'm going to interrupt you and make you just put in like one more thing to that, which a lot of people have misconceptions about. You know, you being in the space you are, you can throw just a little light is on the aspect of taking medication. I know I said that was my last question, but um, you know that that it's okay to be on medication as well, right? I mean, people 
have a lot of worries around it that am I going to, you know, once I start, can I stop? Like all those kinds of concerns when it comes to taking psychiatric medication. So there are two aspects to this. In children in particular, medications are rarely used. Most problems in children are sorted by family therapy, by counseling, sometimes by cognitive therapy, and environmental manipulation, and things like that. So children don't need medication often. Adolescents, if the history is long and if it's severe, sometimes do need medication. But we must realize that whenever you have a mental health problem, I mean a severe mental health problem, then you have a short-term to medium-term goal and you have a long-term goal. Sometimes if you're really unwell, then all the counseling and the other strategies which we use are don't work. They take time and they're slow. So if you're really feeling low, then taking tablets or medication for a short-term period, meaning three to six months or maybe nine months, it pulls you out of that state. And then the medium-term to long-term goal is through behavior therapy, counseling and things like that. So medicines have a small role in pediatrics. Uh, if you need it, you have to take it. It pulls you out if you are really severely affected, very effectively. And then the long-term goal is by counseling. So one should not fear medications. They are not often used, but they are safe and they really work well and it gets you out of it. Thank you so much. That's been, you know, a very, very enriching session. And we really appreciate you taking our time and being with us and sharing all your insights. And for anybody who is watching this, listening to this, please know that, you know, if you or anybody you know is having a hard time with your mental health, please reach out, seek help. You know, as even doctor said, it gets better and you deserve to feel better. So thank you. And till the next time, please stay well, stay healthy.